All right, guys, like Micah said, my name is Drew. It's uh, great to be with you guys tonight, and I'm excited to open up God's Word with you. Tonight, we are going to be talking about what humanity is. And I think that that's an important thing for us to talk about because basically, I think our society is confused about this. And what I mean by that is, on one hand, our society says that human beings have dignity and value and worth, especially in the area of ethics. So what you're going to see as you scroll through Twitter or Facebook or you look at your Instagram page or whatever is, is people really care about civil rights right now. But then if you go into the world of science and you look at CNN and you look at the newest discovery in science or whatever, essentially people say that human beings came from nothing. So here's, here's the interesting thing, all right? This is what uh, one philosopher said in sort of a snarky way. Um, he said, here's what society believes. Man descended from apes, therefore we must love one another. Okay, that I think perfectly exemplifies the confusion that people have about what a human being is, And so here's what I think it feels like in our world to try to treat human beings with dignity and respect. It feels like trying to run on top of water. Have you ever tried to do that? Gone to the pool before? I do this with my kids sometimes. You just go to the edge of the pool. If you ever want to have fun with a kid, do this. And just say, hey, let's see who can run the furthest on top of the water. Well, running on top of water is a great idea, but you don't get very far if you try it, right? And, uh, and the same is true if you don't have a foundation for why you believe that human beings have dignity, worth, and value, you are not going to get very far in actually treating them with dignity, worth, and respect. And so what I'm hoping tonight is that we actually get a perspective from God's word the Bible, and that we begin to be able to see human beings the way that God sees us. Okay, so here's essentially what we're going to say tonight. We're saying that human beings are beautifully, beautiful, broken, and fiercely loved. So it's kind of a strange combination. We're beautiful, we're broken, and we are fiercely loved by God. So what we're going to do is just take those things one at a time, and in so doing, we're going to see the heart that God has for humanity. So first of all, we're gonna see that we are beautiful. Isn't that a great thought? We're beautiful. So the Bible says, Genesis 1.1 says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And to sort of frame out the chapter, just a few verses later, in Genesis 1.27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female he created them. Okay, so here's what the Bible starts with. The Bible starts with God. God is the uncreated creator of everything. And what we quickly find out is that God is totally in a category by himself. He is gloriously beautiful. He speaks and things are created. And so over and over again, Throughout Genesis 1, it says, God made this, and it was good. God made that, and it was good. 
He made zebras, and they were good. He made elephants, and they were good. He made the grass, and it was good. He made the trees, and it was good. But it's not until the end of the first chapter of Genesis that he gets to people. And the Bible gives us this clue that God spent some extra time on people because he declares the world very good after he made human beings. And in Genesis 127, we get a further clue into why this is. It's because human beings are made in the image of God. We are made in the likeness of God. But here's the other interesting thing. Did you notice in Genesis 127, it says that God created man, that means mankind, all people, in his own image. But that doesn't mean that we're just photocopies of each other. Because it goes on to explain this further or to clarify it. And it says, he made men and women in his image. So in the beginning, you have two distinct people. You have Adam and Eve. And they are very different than each other. But they are both fully made in the image of God. Here's the implication for us today. You're one of a kind, absolutely rare. Even if you're an identical twin, there is no one who is exactly like you. You are as rare as anything could possibly be because you're the only one. Out of the seven some billion people on the earth today and all the billions of people that have lived over human history, you are the only one you that God ever made. And... You are made in his image, which means you uniquely bear the likeness of God. So get this. I said God created the universe. He created everything that is and everything that ever will be and everything that was. And he is gloriously beautiful. And here's what he was thinking when he made you. I want to make them to be like me. Okay, I don't know if anyone else here has ever been into baseball cards. I was in a very limited sense into baseball cards, okay? I had like a couple books of baseball cards and I would ever, every once in a while look into the value of them and I think the most valuable baseball card I ever had was like worth $20. But I, I looked up the most valuable baseball card of all time. Does anyone know what it is? It's a Honus Wagner baseball card And this thing sold for $3.12 million in 2016. There's this rating system apparently for baseball cards between 1 and 10. And this Honus Wagner card was from like the early 1900s. And it was a 5. But here's why this Honus Wagner baseball card is worth so much money. Because it bears the likeness of Honus Wagner. Honus Wagner is one of the greatest baseball players of all time. But what also makes it incredibly valuable is that it's rare. It's believed that only 50 Honus Wagner baseball cards from this era were ever made because these cards were actually kept in cigarette cartons and Honus Wagner got all down on smoking cigarettes, and so he asked them to stop making the cards. So they stopped making the cards. So they only made 50 of them. So what makes it valuable is it bears the likeness 
of Honus Wagner, and he was apparently a really good baseball player, and it's incredibly rare. Think how valuable you are. You bear the likeness of the God who created everyone and everything. And you are incredibly rare, one of a kind. God don't make no junk. <laughs> Just put that right, you know, write that in your notes, write that in your Bible. Because here's the thing, all of us, we're at war with ourselves. Often we don't like what we see in the mirror and we actually have a lower perception of ourselves than God has of us. And we project what we think about ourselves onto God and we start listening to the people around us. We start listening to social media. We start listening to the mainstream media and we start to get our self-image and our self-perception from what other people say about us. And the most important person in the universe says that you're beautiful, says that you're amazing, says that you're rare, says that you're one of a kind. But that's not all, right? That's not all that the Bible says about us. But we have to remember that before we move on because we gotta, we gotta like kind of build ourselves up before we get t- torn down a little bit here. Because the second thing we're gonna see pretty quickly in the story of the Bible is that we are broken, all right? The place where human beings are only beautiful in the Bible lasts for this long, all right? That's it. You got one page, all right? The rest of this thing is like, what happened? All right? This much says that there's a problem. Something went wrong. We're broken. Romans 3.23 puts it really succinctly, and it says this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we know that in the Bible, this brokenness is called sin. And maybe you've heard this before, but what sin literally means is to miss the mark. And so immediately when we think of sin, we think of breaking the law. Here's a law that God gave to humanity, and I don't like that law, and so I've broken the law. But what the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book of Romans, where Romans 3.23 is found, wants us to understand is that there's something more that he wants us to understand about sin. He wants to deepen our understanding of it and widen our lens so that we can see sin from a different perspective. He says, sin is not just breaking the rules. Sin is actually falling short of the beauty that God intended for your life. You have failed to believe that you are as rare and beautiful and noble as God says you are which gives you and I insight into why we sin. We sin because we don't believe what God says about us. 
God says, you're rare, you're beautiful, you're valuable. I made you in my image. And we're saying, nah. I'm gonna go look elsewhere for my identity and worth and value. And so we run to a thousand other things to find it. Okay, so imagine the scenario, kind of a ridiculous scenario. Imagine you are like a world-class archer, all right? You are amazing, and you live like back in the Renaissance period, right? And so imagine like you are also a prince or a princess, and the king is sitting among this massive crowd. So you've got all the noblemen and all the peasants and all these things. And this king has been training you since you were three years old to be the best archer in the land. And everybody's looking on at you as you're about to pull back the string. And what everybody knows you're capable of doing is putting that arrow in the dead center of the dead center of the dead center of the bullseye. And you know that if you do that, the whole crowd is going to erupt. But most importantly, your dad is going to erupt. And that is going to fulfill the purpose for which you were born. I know it's a little overstated. So you pull back the arrow. This is the ridiculousness of sin. Sin is just missing the mark. But here's what you do. Instead of shooting the bullseye, imagine that scenario you turn and you aim the bow and arrow at your dad, at the king. And in front of the whole crowd, you attempt to kill him. And he's the one who loves you. And he's the one who's built you up. And he's the one who's prepared you for this moment. And he's the one who's conferred this nobility upon you. And instead of thanking him and honoring him by hitting the bullseye, instead, you try to shoot him. That's what sin is. It's not just missing the mark. It's falling short of the glory that God has made you for. And what the Bible says is instead of receiving this identity as image bearers of God and reflecting his image back to him, we've turned on him and we've made him enemy number one in our lives. So we're beautiful in one sense, but instead of receiving this identity from God, we've turned on him. We are profoundly broken. And the main evidence of that in our lives is our hatred and rebellion against the loving authority of our good God. So here's the tension of the Bible. The tension of the entire Bible is, what is God going to do? If this is the way that human beings are, beautiful, but broken and in rebellion against him, what is he going to do? How will he respond? And the big idea, I, was, I described it as this fierce love, but I want to get a little bit more specific. And I want to say that God responds 
with jealous love. Jealous love. It almost seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? We're going to have to dive into a passage of Scripture and really hash this out together. James chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Says it doesn't start off nice. You adulterous people. Oh, why did I come to Salt Company tonight? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose? That the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So here's the first thing you got to recognize about God. There is a frank acknowledgement of our rebellion against him. And he compares it to adultery. See, you haven't just broken the rules, you've broken God's heart. He wanted this love relationship with you. Where he said, you're beautiful. I made you in my image. And where you responded to him by saying, you're beautiful the creator of the ends of the earth. I will honor you all the days of my life because you are a loving authority. And instead, you have turned your back on God and have cheated on him. You have loved other authorities. I have loved other things. God has given me life and breath and everything else. And so often I have spit in his face. There's a frank acknowledgement. That's the first thing. God isn't like our world that just says, you do you. Just look inside of yourself and kind of whatever your desires are, you can do that and I'll just sort of do my thing up here in heaven. God's not like that. God's like, I'm the creator of the ends of the earth. What I say goes. I know how to, you should live your life. You don't know how you should live your life. So there's a frank acknowledgement. That's the first thing. But then there's this absolutely crazy turn of events in this passage. Frank acknowledgement. You've been in adultery. And then it says, he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in you. Here's that, what that means. Your whole life, maybe, you have been running after other things. You've been chasing them down with the passionate lust for approval for achievement, to make a name for yourself on this earth. And God himself has caught you in bed with all of those other lovers. And here's what you've done. You've gotten caught in bed and you're running away 
And here's what God has been doing every day of your life. Chasing you down. Maybe you're here tonight because somebody invited you. But let me introduce this idea into your mind. Maybe you're here tonight because God is drawing you. You're beginning to be able to hear his voice. And you understand that his voice is not a voice of condemnation. His is a voice of love. And if you would turn your back just for a second on the world and all of the things that you think would make you happy and you would just listen, you would hear that God is actually yearning for you. And the reason that he hates those things that you're pursuing in your life is not because he hates you, but because those things are destroying you. He's jealous for you. He wants you. He loves you. The creator of the ends of the earth loves you. He wants relationship with you. He's drawing you to himself. And he feels like I did when I found out that this girl that I was falling in love with, who's now my wife, was dating somebody else. Guys, this was a crazy experience. So my wife is four years older than I am. And I had started going over to her house for dinner and hanging out with her friends and was starting to like her, but was starting to try to get up the courage to ask her out. And I found out she's four years older than me, and I'm like, oh, no. She has been thinking of me as like a little brother, and I've been thinking of her like she's going to be my wife someday. And so I'm just, I got cold feet. I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to ask her out. And then that all changed when one time I was somewhere and she showed up with another guy. And all of a sudden, I thought, oh yeah, I like her. She showed up with the other guy. I'm like, I don't think so. And I'm not kidding you. I went straight up to this guy. And I still remember this conversation I had with him. I'm like, hey man, what brings you here? He's like, oh yeah, I'm here with Melissa. I'm like, oh, you are really? And then he goes, she is great. And I go, you're right, she is. And I just walked right away. And I decided in that moment, I am asking that girl out and I don't care what happens. And a week later, I was knocking on her door at 10 p.m. and I was saying, I would like to take you on a date. And she said yes, and dumped that dude, and I'm married to her, and now we have five kids, all right? But here's the thing. Do you know why I did that? Because I got jealous. I got super jealous because I loved her, and I still do. I love her all the days of my life by the grace of God. And here's the thing. When you hang out with sin, when you do whatever you want to do and God sees you in everything that you do, he gets jealous. Isn't that amazing? How humble of him. Why does he care what we're doing? Contrary to popular belief, it's not because he's a killjoy. It's because he loves us. He really 
actually loves us. And so here's the tension that's still in God. Is that when you break the law of God, you deserve to die. The Ten Commandments were put in place not as a measuring stick to see if you could earn your way to heaven, but they were actually a list of rules that would destroy you. The point of the Ten Commandments is you can't earn your way to heaven. You've already screwed it up. If you're guilty of breaking one of the commandments, you're guilty of breaking all of them. So sorry if you're on the religious path. That's not going to work. So what happens then? If you deserve to die, but God loves you so much that he yearns after you, how are you going to get saved? How are you going to become a part of his family? How's the wedding day going to happen? And so God conceives of the most ridiculous possible way to ask you out. He sends his son to the earth. Here's what the Bible says. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So here's what God does. He says they're beautiful, but they're broken. So I'll send my beautiful son to become broken on their behalf so that they can be in relationship with me. I will kill my son, whom I love, who has never done anything wrong, to bring them back into relationship with me. If you want to know the measure of God's love for you, look at the cross. Why did Jesus hang there? He didn't do anything wrong. Because he loves you. He loves you. So then how do we respond to this jealous, yearning, dying God? How do we respond? James says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, all you have to do is say, yeah, I need it. I need it. Like maybe for the first time tonight, you're just supposed to say, I am so sick and tired of trying to be loved by everyone else. I'm so sick and tired of putting up this image of myself. I'm so sick and tired of my pride. I'm so sick and tired of the pornography. I'm so sick and tired of this immoral relationship that I'm in. I'm so sick and tired of the bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart and the hate. I'm so sick and tired of how I'm treating other people. I'm so sick and tired of how I'm dishonoring my parents. And I just need to be loved. Me, beautiful and broken. I can't clean up my life. I just need to be broken and loved. And then do you know what will begin to happen? What began to happen to me when I was in college as I began to grasp these things in a deep and profound way for the first time is what I would do is I'd get my iPod shuffle. So this is back in like 2003, right? 
get my iPod shuffle. This was before iPods had screens on them. You know, it was just this little thing. And I just put worship music on and I'd go out about this time at night. It was still, it was quiet. And I'd listen to this song. It's called Your Love is Deep. You guys can look it up. You probably wouldn't like it because it was written in like 2003, right? (laughs) But here's the thing. It just said, your love is deep. Your love is high. It's higher than my view of grace. And I would just sing. And I would just throw my hands out and people would be like walking by me and I'd just be like, I don't care. God loves me. Now imagine this. Imagine if all of you just started to believe that God loved you in such a way that you began to treat your classmates and your friends with this type of dignity, this type of respect. What if you started to reflect God's yearning for you to them? You started chasing them down. You started pulling them with you to Saul or to Bible study toward God because that's where you were finding life. That's what I want for you because that is the life that you're looking for. Let's pray. Jesus, we come from all different places, all different backgrounds, all different experiences with you. But I just ask that you would break into this place, that you would humble some people, not to condemn them, You said that you didn't come to this world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through you. And I pray that you would draw some people into relationship with you tonight, that people would be able to let go of all those things that they're holding on to for their worth and their identity and that they're looking to for love. And God, during this next song, that they would be able to actually experience your love, maybe for the first time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.